0: You're listening to the Good News in a Dark World podcast. Join us as we study God's Word and discover Jesus on every page. Here's Pastor Kevin. Please take your Bibles at this time and turn to the last book of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2. We will be reading at verse 18 and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Uh, This is Jesus' fourth letter. To a church in Asia Minor, this is a letter to the church in Thyatira, Revelation 2, uh, verses 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. One of the things that uh, marks our culture today is the constant, continual cry for tolerance. We are called over and over, it doesn't matter the belief, it doesn't matter the practice, we are told over and over by this culture you have to be tolerant. You have to be tolerant. All roads lead to heaven you have to be tolerant. Drag queens giving lectures in libraries, you have to be tolerant. I read an article the other day that says that there are 72 genders now. 72 genders. You have to be tolerant. About 10 years ago, a man named D.A. Carson wrote a book. It's called The Intolerance of Tolerance. And in that book, Carson makes the point that it's those who are constantly saying we must tolerate all beliefs and all lifestyles. It's those people who actually are the most intolerant. Carson writes this. He says, The one thing that is absolutely not tolerated any longer is the idea that a particular belief or practice might be wrong. In other words, for us to say... This is right and this is wrong, is not tolerated by many, many people today. Tolerance is the subject of this letter that Jesus writes to this church. And the main point of this letter is this you are tolerating unrepentant people, specifically a woman, in your church. There was a woman in this church who had been called to repentance, and yet she had refused to repent. And when she refused to repent, the the church didn't do anything about it. They just let her go. And so Jesus writes this letter as a warning to this church that is tolerating this unrepentant false teacher. Now, first of all, what do we know about Thyatira? Thyatira. Uh, Thyatira was located about uh, 50 miles southeast of Pergamum, which is the city we looked at two weeks ago. Of the seven cities to receive a letter from Jesus, Thyatira was the least significant. It was not a very big city in in that day. It was about uh, 25,000 people. It was nowhere near as big as Ephesus or some of the other cities. And and other than this letter, the only thing the Bible tells us about Thyatira is that's where Lydia was from in Acts chapter 16. Now, even though Thyatira wasn't a very well-known or significant city, it was the home to a number of different industries, uh, bakers, painters, coppersmiths, and, and more. And those industries were all part of what were called trade guilds. Trade guilds were, were kind of like um, modern-day labor unions. And if you wanted to be part of one of those industries, let's say you wanted to be a coppersmith, you had to belong to the coppersmith trade guild. Now, now this is not a sermon on whether or not you should belong to a modern-day labor union. Um, but in that day, being part of a trade guild presented a real dilemma to you if you were a Christian. You see, these, um, these various trade guilds would often have their meetings at the local temples, temples that were dedicated to false gods. And, and in these meetings, the, it wasn't just a, a sit-down dinner with a speaker. In these trade guild meetings, they would include all kinds of different pagan rituals, prayers to false gods, sacrifices to false gods. And one thing that these trade guild meetings would almost always include would be some form of sexual immorality. Temple prostitutes would be present for these trade guild meetings, and you would be expected to be part of those things and take part in their activities. And so you can see, if you were a Christian, you would be in a real predicament. You you would be thinking to yourself, you know, I need to work. I need to support my family, and if I'm going to work and support my family, I have to belong to one of these trade guilds, but but how can I belong to a trade guild when, when all of their meetings are filled with gross sin? Imagine being faced with that dilemma, that if you didn't belong to part of the trade guild, you couldn't work, and you couldn't work, you couldn't provide for your family. And so these Christians were in a very real predicament. And so that's the context, that's the city in which this church ministered. And as we look at this letter this morning, in fact, this is the the longest of the seven letters that Jesus gives to a church, we're going to do it the same way we've been doing it, we're going to look at three things. First of all, Jesus is described, and then the church is examined, and then a promise is given. Jesus is described, the church is examined, a promise is given. Jesus is described in verse 18. Notice what he says. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Children, you will notice two things about Jesus here. You will notice, first of all, that he has eyes like a flame of fire. In other words, Jesus has perfect vision. Jesus knows exactly what is going on. Jesus' eyes cut through all excuses. This is just um, Hebrews 4.13, right? Where, Where the author of Hebrews says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Every person who has ever lived Every person living now in this world, every person sitting in this room this morning is perfectly and fully known by Christ. That's not just true of individuals, that's also true of churches. Jesus searches his church with perfect vision, perfect clarity. He knows everything about us. He knows everything about our church. He knows everything about us individually. It's not like when we have people over to our homes for a meal. Uh, sometimes we'll have people coming to our house, and, and maybe you know that they're going to be there soon, and you've tried to make sure your house is really clean, and, and, and right before they get there, you notice there's something on the ground. And, and you don't have time to clean it up, and so you just kind of kick it or sweep it under the couch and your guests show up and, and you know, they have no idea that you got a pile of cookies underneath your couch because you did a good job of kicking it under the couch or you, you put some stuff in a, in a room and closed the door so that no one could go in there and see the mess. You can't do that with Jesus. You can't kick things under the couch. You can't put things in a closet. You, you can't close the door. You can't hide anything from him. He knows everything. He sees everything. Now, let's face it, as Christians, there's a sense in which that should be very comforting to us. It's very comforting to you this morning, if you are in Christ, to know that Jesus knows everything about you. He knows all that you're dealing with. He knows all of your struggles. He knows all of your concerns and and fears and anxieties. He says to you, Christian, I know. I know what's troubling you. I know what keeps you up awake at night. I know the fears that you have, no matter whether you are young or old. I know all about you. But we also have to understand that when Jesus says this, when he says that I have eyes like a flame of fire, that is very sobering. Jesus doesn't miss anything, he doesn't overlook anything. The, the, the ministry of the church is carried out before his watching eyes. He tells this church in Thyatira and he tells this church in Ripon. I know all. I see all. And you'll notice, secondly, he has feet like burnished bronze. What is that all about? Well, in that day, many weapons were made out of bronze. And, and so the, the picture here is, is we're, being, we're being shown the power of Christ. This is a far cry from the way that people view Jesus today. Many people today see Jesus as, um, he's, he's nice. He wants everybody to get along. He, he, he tolerates everyone. He tolerates everything. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the Jesus of reality. The Jesus of reality has eyes like a flame of fire. He has feet like burnished bronze. He's not to be trifled with. He's not to be ignored. He's not to be placed in a corner where he can't see what we're doing. He sees and knows everything. And he will judge all who oppose him. Jesus needs to say this to this church in Thyatira because this was a church that was tolerating an unrepentant false teacher. And this church needed to hear Jesus say, I know, I know what's going on there in that church. I know what you're dealing with. I know what you're tolerating. And you need to understand, I see it all. Secondly, though, the church is examined. First thing Jesus sees is is he sees something to praise this church for. Again, Jesus has perfect vision. Jesus knows what's going on in the church in Thyatira, and he, he sees something to commend this church for. Verse 19, he says, I know your works, your love and faith, and service and patient endurance. The church in Thyatira was doing a number of things well. Now, as we're going to see in a, in a moment, this, this church certainly had some issues. This church had some things they needed to fix. But, but that doesn't stop Jesus for commending this church for the good things that they were doing. And by the way, that's one of the things that this section of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, teaches us. It it reminds us that there are no perfect churches. Most churches are a mixture of of praiseworthy elements and and things that need some attention. Now, this doesn't mean that a church should not work on its deficiencies. This doesn't mean that a a church should say, oh, well, no one's perfect. But it's a reminder to us that, that in this life, the church is a mixed bag. Within the typical local church, you will will find the good and you will find the not so good. The church in Thyatira was doing a number of things well. It was a church that was marked by love and and faith and service. It it seems that they were doing what the church in Ephesus was not doing. You remember the very first letter in in uh, Revelation 2, 1 through 7. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, you've left your first love. You're not ministering and serving with love for me or love for your fellow believers. But it seems here that the church in Thyatira was doing that. They were serving and ministering to one another with love and with joy. They truly loved each other. They truly cared about each other. They were active in using their gifts to serve one another, and Jesus commends them for this. I want us to think about our own church at this point. I look at what the Lord is doing here, and and we had Vacation Bible School this past summer. A number of you were involved in that. We have Sunday school classes right now. A number of you are involved in that. Blast is taking place right now. A number of you are involved in that. Weekday Bible studies. A number of you are involved in that. We're very blessed. We're, we're blessed not only to have ministries and programs, but we're blessed to have people who are serving in those ministries and programs. And, and it's not just the, you know, the up ministries. It's nursery workers and sound and video people and uh, musicians and ushers and refreshment servers. Brothers and sisters, you may at times grow weary in serving. You may at times wonder, am I making an impact? But the Lord knows. He sees your service. He sees how you serve his people. He knows all things. Notice the church in Thyatira was also marked by a patient endurance. These Christians, they they lived in a very difficult place. They lived in a city where they were were very much pressured to conform. But by God's grace, they were enduring. They they were not giving in to this peer pressure. They were were not being squeezed into the mold of of their culture. We may feel like that at times, that that we we are pressured into living and thinking like this world. How do you patiently endure? Well, in part, you do that by realizing that you're living for a better world than this one. At least I hope you are. We're living for a better world than this one. You see, it's easier to endure the hostilities of this world when you know that something better awaits you. Something better than this life. Notice, too, that this church was growing spiritually. Jesus says, your, your latter works exceed the first. They were, they were progressing in the Christian life. They were growing in sanctification. That's what we want as Christians to see in our own lives growth from one month to the next, growth from one year to the next. This should be true in, in churches as well. This should be true of our church. Zion must not be content to, to stay in one place. We should seek to grow. We should seek to progress. We, we should be looking for new ways to minister to others, new ways to, to bring the gospel to our communities. And so Jesus starts off by, by giving these words of praise and, and encouragement to this church. They were doing well in a number of areas. But not all was well. There was a very serious issue in this church. If you look at verse 20, you'll see what it is. He says, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Basically, it comes down to this. This church was tolerating a woman who was telling people in the church that it was okay to live like the world. Not in a, it's okay to watch TV kind of way. But in a very gross, ungodly, wicked way. Now in all likelihood, this woman's name was not Jezebel. Jesus likens her or calls her Jezebel because he's he's linking this woman to the woman of that same name in the Old Testament. Children, you might remember Jezebel, right? Jezebel was, in the Old Testament, was not part of the covenant people of God. She was an outsider. She was from a place called Sidon, which is a very wicked people, pagan people. And, and, and one day she married Ahab, who was the king of Israel. And, and by marrying Ahab, the, the devil used Jezebel to infiltrate the people of God. And and the devil used her to corrupt Ahab even further and and to lead the entire nation, all of God's people, into false worship. Jezebel of the Old Testament, very simply, was a woman who had corrupted the people of God from the inside. That's why Jesus calls this woman Jezebel here, because the same thing is true with her. She's not doing damage to the church from out there. She's doing damage to the church, in here is what Jesus is saying. She was encouraging the people to participate in idol worship. She was encouraging the people to, to get this practice sexual immorality. I mean, this isn't someone who is promoting Baptist theology or dispensationalism, areas of debate among Christians. This is a woman promoting gross sin. And based on what we can read here in this letter, her influence is spreading. She's like the leaven of the Pharisees we looked at a few weeks ago. And Jesus says to this church, why are you tolerating this woman? Why are you letting her spread her influence within your church? Don't dialogue with her. Don't wait and see what happens. Get rid of her. Or I will, Jesus says. In particular, notice three things. First of all, Jesus says, I'm going to throw her onto a sickbed. You see that? I'm going to throw her onto a sickbed. Now, interestingly, the word sick is not in the original language. Literally, it just says, I'm going to throw her onto a bed. I think this is a play on words based on what this woman was seducing the people in this church to do. In other words, Jesus is saying, Jezebel, you want to lure people into bed with others? Well, if you don't repent, I'm going to throw you into bed. Only it's not going to be a bed of sexual immorality. It's going to be a bed of tribulation and judgment. Jesus says in no uncertain terms, I'm going to judge this woman for her unrepentant sin and by luring others to follow her in her path. Secondly, you'll also notice Jesus says, I'm going to deal with those who follow her. I'm going to deal with those who participate in this woman's wickedness. Th- those whom Jezebel had seduced, those whom Jezebel had influenced, those whom Jezebel had convinced that it was okay to live like the world, they, they can't say, well, it's not my fault. It's Jezebel's fault. She's the one who made me do this. You know, making excuse for sin. Blaming sin on someone else or something else goes all the way back to the beginning of time, doesn't it? You don't have to read very far in your Bible to, to find people excusing their sin. Children, you remember that in Genesis chapter 3, so Genesis 1 and 2, we have the account of creation. God created everything good. God looks at his creation. He says, it's all very good. He created man in his own image and true righteousness and holiness. And yet, you get to chapter three, and tragedy occurs. Adam and Eve sin. They plunge the entire human race into sin. They, they do what God told them not to do. And, and how do they respond? God, God confronts them, and, and what do Adam and Eve say? Adam says, Lord, it's the woman you gave me. It's her fault. She made me do this. Eve then says, hey, it's not my fault. The devil made me do it. And and we often do the same thing. We often blame others for our sin. We excuse our sin. We blame our circumstances. But what Jesus says here is a reminder to us that we need to own our own sin. Can't blame it on others. We we can't excuse what we've done by saying, well, it's not my fault. Jesus says to this church in in no uncertain terms, if you don't repent, if you keep following this woman, if you don't deal with her, I'm going to deal with her. But I'm also going to deal with you. That's a very sobering thing to think about. And the third thing that Jesus says here, he says, when I do this, when I I judge the unrepentant in your church, notice the middle of verse 23, he says, all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. The point is this, the judgment of God upon the unrepentant should have an effect on all of us. The judgment of God upon the unrepentant is to remind us that Jesus sees everything. Nothing, nothing escapes his notice. You know, what what I read here, what I read when Jesus says this, I I think of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. Acts. You probably remember that story, Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira were a husband and wife, and and they had a piece of property they decided to sell. And and the Bible nowhere says that when you sell a piece of property, you have to give everything to the church. It doesn't say that. But Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to appear to be really, really godly people. And and so when they sold their property, they brought the money to the church, and, and they said, here is everything we sold this property for. Now, that wasn't true. But they made it appear as if it was. Let's say they sold the piece of property for $100,000 and they brought $20,000 to the church and they said, here, this $20,000, this is all that we sold this piece of property for. We want the church to have it. They wanted people to see how wonderful they were, incredibly generous. But if you remember the story, you remember they're lying. They didn't sell the piece of property for $20,000, they sold it for $100,000. And and you remember, if you remember the story, you remember what happened. God killed them. He struck them dead. And at the very end of this passage, we read this. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. When Jesus says, I'm going to judge these wicked, unrepentant people, All the churches will know that he is not to be trifled with. He's not to be toyed around with. We are to take the holiness of Christ very, very seriously. Now you'll notice that in the midst of this warning of judgment, don't miss the patience of Christ. Don't miss it. We, we might have a tendency to read this letter and only think of the judgment of Christ and, and only think of the warning of wrath, but, but don't miss the patience. Verse 21, Jesus says, I gave her time to repent. At the end of verse 22, Jesus says, unless they repent. The point is there's still time to turn from sin. Sin. There's still opportunity to repent of our sin and, and to cry out for forgiveness. If there's some sin in your life that, that, that you are playing around with today, if there's some area of your life where sin has, has taken root, if the Lord is is bringing conviction to your heart this morning and, and, and showing you something you need to repent of, there's still time. There's still time. Don't continue down the path of sin. Don't harden your heart to your sin. The Bible says in no uncertain terms, today is the day of salvation. Turn to him. Call out to Christ today to forgive you, and he will forgive you. Call out to Christ this morning to to give you the strength to turn from your sin, and he will give you all that you stand in need of. Don't miss the love and the patience of Christ. Don't forget, as the choir sang this morning, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will forgive you, I will cleanse you, I will restore you. Now notice the instruction that Jesus gives this church in verses 24 and 25, he says to the rest of you who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. There was still a faithful remnant in Thyatira. There, there was still a group of people who had not followed this woman. They would not followed her teachings. They hadn't yet run off into idolatry and, and sexual immorality. And, and to this remnant of people, Jesus says, I don't lay on you any other burden. And you go, well, what burden is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the burden. He's talking about the duty to deal with this woman. One author puts it like this. He says, The burden on them that Jesus does not add to is the simple fact that they are wrong to put up with this false prophetess. They should exclude her from the church to protect the flock from her seduction. That's the instruction Jesus gives to the church in Thyatira. Hold fast to the truth, hold fast to the gospel, and deal with this woman. Exclude her from your midst so that her influence doesn't keep spreading. That's what he calls the church in Thyatira to do. One final thing. Jesus gives a promise. To this church that is living in a very ungodly culture, to this church that is pressured to get involved in these trade guilds and worship false gods and practice sexual immorality, Jesus gives a promise. He actually gives two promises. First of all, the end of verse 26, it is the promise of authority over the nations. Now this isn't talking about some earthly kingdom. This isn't talking about Jesus is gonna set up some rule on this earth and, and you're going to be one of the chief leaders. You can rule over all kinds of people. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about what awaits us in the eternal state. You see, this is an incredibly comforting and assuring promise. You and I live in a world where we often feel beaten down. I don't know if you feel that. I do. I think we all do. We feel beaten down by this world. We, we watch TV, read the news, whatever it is, and, and we get discouraged. We feel exhausted. feel like giving up the fight, maybe. Heidelberg Catechism in the very last Lord's Day says this. It says, we are so weak... That we cannot stand on our our own for a moment and our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us. That pretty pretty well sums it up, doesn't it? Now that wouldn't be the message that the health, wealth, and prosperity guy is going to teach you on TV. Imagine him saying, you know, here's my message for you today. Um, The world, the devil, and the flesh are never going to stop attacking you. But that's the truth. That pretty well sums it up. But in this promise, we are reminded that one day that won't be the case. One day we will reign with Christ. One day our enemies will be no more. Brothers and sisters, don't forget this. When life beats you down, when when you become discouraged, when you're worn out, and and maybe it's just being worn out from the, the daily drudgery of life, kids and laundry and bills and headaches, when you are worn out, when it appears that evil is winning, remember what Jesus promises you here. He promises you that he will judge his enemies and yours And that in him you will be victorious. That's what awaits us. That's the promise. There's a second promise, though, and it's the promise of the morning star. You say, well, what is the morning star? Well, there's an Old Testament connection that we often find in the New Testament. Specifically, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. A man named Balaam, you remember Balaam? We talked about him a few weeks ago. He's the guy with the talking donkey. Balaam in Numbers chapter 24 says this. He says, I see him but not now. I behold him but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. A star, Balaam says, will come out of Jacob. A, 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 A great ruler A mighty king will come. And we say, who is this star? Who is this mighty king? Well, the very last chapter of the Bible tells us who this star is. Revelation 22, verse 16. Jesus says, I am the root and the descendant of David. I am the bright morning star. You see the promise? The promise is Jesus himself. He is that morning star. You know, like the the city of Thyatira itself, which was very insignificant, these Christians living 2,000 years ago in Thyatira probably felt very insignificant. Who are we? And let's face it, most of us in the eyes of the world are rather insignificant. One man once said this, he said, and this isn't gonna really make you that encouraged, but I'm gonna read it anyway. You are born, you do some stuff, you die, you are buried, you are forgotten. That's true in a sense, isn't it? Maybe you don't have great riches. Maybe you don't have fame or influence or power. But listen. If you know Jesus, you have the bright morning star. If you have Jesus Christ You, Christian, have the greatest treasure of them all. You have Jesus. Isn't that what we confess? I belong to Him, body and soul, in life and in death. We confess it, do we believe it? It's true, Christian. You may be insignificant, and and me too. But we have the morning star. We have Jesus. And no one and nothing can take him from me. That helps us, doesn't it, to endure the trials of this life. That helps us to endure the the pressures and the difficulties and the temptations of this world. I belong to him. And so too do you, Christian. And one day, what a glorious day this will be. One day we will see him face to face. One day we will be with Jesus. That makes the trials and the difficulties and the pressures of this world easier to deal with because we don't live for this world. We live for a better world, a world to come. We belong to him. May we take his word this morning. May we seek to live it out. May we find comfort in it. And may we take this good news, the good news of the morning star, may we take it out into this world so that they too may hear of the great hope, the great promise, the great salvation that is ours in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for your word to us. Thank you for its instruction, its promises. Lord, help us in the midst of trials and difficulties and perhaps discouragement to rejoice that we are living for a better world. We are part of an eternal kingdom that will never be defeated. And we belong to one who will never be taken away from us. We thank you, we praise you for your grace and your mercy that we have in Christ. Help us, Lord, to live as faithful servants of yours in this world to do all things, to glorify and honor you. If you've been blessed by this podcast and would like to support this ministry, you can find us at www.goodnewsinadarkworld.com. Thank you for listening.